Hey, everyone. It's good to see you. Hey, if you're new around here, welcome. Uh, we're really glad you're here. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we just say hello and welcome to everyone who's joining us online and at every one of our campuses? Because we get to do this together. So let's say welcome. Hey, everybody. Glad you are with us. Don, Don is an astronaut, and he has this special suit that enables him to live off his own bodily fluids so he can be out in outer space indefinitely uh, with no assistance or anything. And he, um, he has this little bubble helmet keeps him alive. He can keep breathing in there, and he's got everything, you know, he he can survive in there. But an accident happens on the space station, and all of a sudden, he's thrust, like, way out into outer space, and all of a sudden just starts orbiting the Earth in the dark from a great distance. Now, at first, he thinks, well, I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, I've got this suit. I've got my helmet. I've got my oxygen stuff, and I'm fine. I'll, I'll be okay. But it doesn't take very long before he really begins to miss Earth. Not, not, just the, uh, you know, not just the planet and the trees and the streets and stuff, but he misses, uh, he misses people. He misses his family, his, his sister and his neighbor and his friends, even that guy he can't stand. He misses him. And he calls out to them. He, he, he yells at the top of his lungs for help and, and connection from his little place orbiting out there. That, but it, the sound just kind of comes back to him loudly inside his helmet and fogs things up. And after a little bit of that, he kind of gets used to it. Like, he just figures this is the way it's going to be. Out there in his little orbit, disengaged and distanced from Earth, he doesn't really even see, you know, the people anymore. And he orbits like that for decades until Don dies, a very lonely, crazy man a shell of a thing with hardly a spark for a soul. Ah, it's not really a very happy story to start with, is it? But you know what? It, it speaks to a truth that a lot of us know too well, doesn't it? It speaks to a reality that too many of us live with. And more people, according to the statistics, are living like Don than ever before. Because we, we know what it's like to feel alone. We know what it's like to pull back. We know what it's like to get hurt. We know what it's like to say it's not worth it. We know what it's like to say, I'll be okay, and then just get used to it. And maybe we don't even realize it, but sometimes... We have these little hints that maybe our souls are shriveling in the process. Because God made us in a way where we actually need relationships. We need people. God designed people. 
very specifically to need other people. So I think it's one of the things that's been so hard about the last couple of years, you know, is because we had some forced isolation and we were already kind of orbiting. And then that, do you know they've done studies that show that loneliness can have the same impact on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day? <laughs> so they ought to put a little Surgeon General's warning, you know, on, on loneliness or on orbiting. Because if we try to live without nurturing, pursuing, finding, and accepting vital life-giving relationships, it kills us. Burnout, all the studies have shown, is as much about relational deficit as it is about overwork. You want to fix your burnout, don't just try to cut back on your work. You need to invest in relationships. The person who wrote that Don the Astronaut story said it was the most perfect description of hell they could imagine. What do you think? What do you suppose hell is? Hell is a place where you're completely alone, cut off from God and other people. That's it. And Jesus doesn't want you to live in hell. He doesn't want you to float through your life without friends or a place to belong, a place to love and be loved, a place to serve and to be served. He doesn't want you to live that way. Because loneliness and disconnection from other people, you know what? It, it, it's part of what's wrong with the world. It's part of what's broken. It's the result of sin. That's why it's closely connected to hell. And the Bible teaches us that loving other people in real relationships that are life-giving is a bit of heaven. And so each of us has to kind of choose. I mean, loneliness gets thrust on you sometimes, but honestly, we get to choose which world, which reality, which state we want to live in. And God has thought of a solution for those of us who care. He's thought of this idea of community where we can find a place, come out of our orbit and come around the table and be known and be welcomed, be called by name and know that we are home. And I hope you're hungry for that solution. Uh, we're calling this series The Good Life. The Good Life. And we get a lot of talk about the good life these days. But actually in Scripture, we got a really clear picture of the good life uh, from the earliest pages of the Bible. I mean, can, I, can you do some highfalutin theology with me for a second? Okay. Um, before creation, God exists in God's threeness, three Persons, Father, Son, Spirit, yet one in relationship with God's self. Like this intimate kind of community, this divine small group, this little hangout session is God, even before time began, if you will. One theologian describes it as a circle dance. If you can picture Father, Son, and Spirit joining hands and doing some sort of folk dance, not a bad way to describe the very truth that's at the center of reality, that God is a relational God. And it's not just relationship. It's good. I mean, it's not like the Greek gods or the Roman gods that are capricious and whimsical and always up to some sexual escapade or being mean in relationship. No, this is good and pure. And out of that then flows this goodness and beauty. And the first thing that we know from our vantage point about this God who lives in relationship is that this God creates and puts his stamp on everything, including humans, and invites them into reality, which is relationships. God invites us into relationship. God made you in his image. 
And part of that image is a, is a relational image. He made whales to need oxygen. He made fish to need water. He made you and me to need relationships. The story goes in the book of Genesis, God creates, you know, in the sky and sea. I'll oh, make me a platypus today. Everything he creates, he says what? It's good. But then he makes a solo human. And he steps back and he says something different. Genesis 2.18. He says, wait a second, it's not good. Why? Because the man's alone. I've made him in my image and it's, so he's not done yet. No human by himself is, is good, is alone. Is, is right yet. And so he says, God puts another human with them and puts them together and they can be together and companions and partners. And there they are in the Garden of Eden living this paradise, this shalom, this beautiful good life where they're partnered and they're together. There's no friction, there's no problems. No one's leaving the toilet seat in the wrong place. Everyone's happy. It's awesome. And then there's this arresting description of closeness, of relationship. Genesis chapter 2, 25. Look at this. The two of them, so there's two humans now, and they, guess what? They were naked, but they felt no shame. We can't even read that sentence without feeling shame. But they were naked and without shame. Maybe you heard about the mama of the toddler who was just trying to keep everything together one morning and put the kid down, gave him some toys, was like, jumped in the shower, came out of the shower only to discover the little kid had like made a complete mess with the toilet paper in the, in the bathroom. Well, she thought it was cute and she thought, well, I'll capture that. She grabs her phone, takes a little picture of the little guy and posts it immediately on Facebook, gets dressed, gets ready for her day and picks up her phone again. There's like 14 texts and they're like, have you seen what you posted? She goes back and looks at the picture, and sure enough, she captured the little guy, but also herself in the reflection of the bathroom mirror, buck naked and wearing nothing but a smile and a phone. Now, we, we laugh at that because we know you're not supposed to be seen naked because we live on this side of Eden, don't we? But the way it was at the beginning when it was all good, the good life, you know what it was? It was like nothing between people. No shame. It's a metaphor. It's, it's more than just being buck naked in the flesh. It's, it's, it's this is two people who are like, they weren't afraid because it's here. Here I am. There's nothing between us. I'm, I love you. You love me. We're accepted. We're wanted. We're known by God and known by each other. We're completely free and open and safe and vulnerable and loved, and that, the Bible says, is the good life. That's paradise, that's shalom, that's heaven. And that desire is hardwired a little bit into each one of our souls, isn't it? Even if we're scared to death of it at the same time. Of course, you flip the page of the Bible one page and everything gets messed up. All this nakedness gets covered up, thank goodness. Because now we can go back to hiding from each other and from God. The humans give in to sinful desires and they go against and they rebel against God. They don't trust God and we're going to run our life and we don't trust you for the good life. We think there's a better good life. Let me try this, we say. And Genesis 3.8 says everything had changed. Now, when Adam and Eve heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and the wife, what did they do? Instead of running toward God like, hey, what's up? What do they do? They run and hide. 
They run the other way because sin does that. It makes us guilty and uh, crazy and shifty and ashamed and, and uh, the relationship's ruptured and so we hide from God, but it gets worse. It's the relationship with each other that gets messed up too. They're no longer open and free and vulnerable. They start blaming each other, pointing fingers at each other. It was his fault. It was her fault. Now they're cursed and they live under this fall and it's all awful. And then we have these coverings that come out. We've all seen these paintings of Adam and Eve with strategically placed fig leaves to cover the private parts. Think about it. The parts that are private, the part I don't want you to see anymore. I'm not naked and ashamed. It's not me here anymore. Only the parts of me I want you to see. Because I'm sure if you saw all of me, well, I'm ashamed and you wouldn't accept it. We don't want to be known and we don't really want to know because we're afraid. If you knew the real me, you wouldn't love me, you wouldn't accept me. I must cover myself. My inner private real self is no longer available. And we struggle. Every human struggles with this tension. Christian Writer Paul Tournier describes it this way. He says that, you know, every single one of us kind of has this tension where on the one hand, we long to be close, but we long to run and hide. We, we long to, to kind of draw near to people, but part of us is just like, I don't I want to run away. There's a part of us that like, I want to be open, you know, like wouldn't it be great to have a relationship I could just really just say what I think and feel and it'd be okay, but a part of me is like, uh, I'm going to cover myself. Part of me longs for relationships. Part of us is terrified by it. So, we learn ways to cover ourselves. We don't use fig leaves anymore, but we use small talk, we use busyness, don't we? We use hurry, we use I'm a know-it-all. Anything we can do to keep it from going too deep or whatever. What's your shield? How do you hide from God? How, how do you hide from other people? Are you hiding the real you from God? Or from other people? Because every time we do, and we all do, we take one step further away from earth. One step further away from the good life that Jesus promises. Genesis says it's not good for us to be alone. Jesus says, I've got something better. I've got a good life. I've got real life. I've got an abundant life for you. And the first thing you do when Jesus takes your hand as he, he takes your hand and he puts your hand in the hand of someone else who's also following him because you can't follow Jesus alone. Why? Because relationships are what we're made for. And it turns out Christianity isn't a solo sport. We've kind of made it into that. Like it's just about me and Jesus, but it's really not. It never was. It's not the way Jesus does it. Jesus says you always need to follow him in the company of others. It's actually not possible. It's like saying, saying, I want to be spiritual, but I just don't want to have all these other Christians in my life. I don't believe in the church. I don't want to do all that stuff. It's kind of like saying, oh, I love marriage. I just don't want to have a spouse. It's like, I don't think you understand marriage. And if you say, I just want to be with Jesus, but I don't really want to do any mess with other Christians. They just bug me too much. It's like, eh, I don't think you understand Jesus. Because Jesus says, We've got to do this together. So at the beginning, 
he calls the disciples, and Mark says he calls them to be with him. Not just to study with him, to, not just to understand him, not just to follow him or obey him, but to be in relationship with him. So how did Jesus do it? He said, follow me. And what did they do? They went stuff. They did stuff. They, they traveled together. They ate meals together. They slept under the stars together. They laughed together. They cried together. They studied. They fished together. They did all this stuff. What makes us think following Jesus today is so different? Like as if we're going to come in once a week and sit in rows and listen to some guy talk is somehow going to really enrich our lives and lead us to the good life. It's not going to. But what might is if you could live with Jesus and with some others on a journey where you're actually going someplace that you can't get by yourself. Now that's exciting. And that's the good life. And the Bible describes the church like not this institution, not this historical thing, this monolithic bunch of traditions and rituals and buildings and hierarchies. The Bible does not talk about it that way. You know what it says? It says we're a family. It calls you brother. It calls you my sister. It says we're organically bonded together through Jesus Christ in a relationship with the Father and with each other because we've all received grace from above and that oozes through us and around us to the world around us, the Bible says they will know you are Christians by your love one for another. That's relationship stuff. All the one another's in scripture describe our life together. The one another's are things like where it says, hey, with other people on the journey with Jesus, love one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another. Forgive one another. Build one another up. Be patient with one another. That's what we're called to. And you can't do any of that on your own. So do you have spiritual friendships that allow you to live like that? People in your life, listen, who know God and know you. People who love God and love you. People who are trying their best to walk with Jesus but are willing to some degree to walk with you. Because that's what we're hungry for and that's the pathway to the good life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who you have in your life will determine the direction and often the destiny of your life. So scripture says you've got to choose to stay close to some people who are on the same journey with Jesus, going in the same direction with Jesus, trying to follow and listen to the same spirit of Jesus, trying to live for the same kingdom of Jesus, trying to accomplish the same mission of Jesus. Otherwise, you're just going to end up walking someplace else with some other folk. and, And Jesus says, I have the good life, the abundant life with me. It's called the church. We're a new community a countercultural, radical community that just is just as hurt, just as messed up as anyone else, but we're willing to trust Jesus enough that we'll take our masks off once in a while because we know that he loves us, and that love will help us be bold enough to do the same with each other. And that's real. Jesus says that's, that's good. And if you've tasted that, you know what I'm talking about. It really is the good life. We don't get a lot of it this side of Eden, but we get little tastes. And we want to be a church that creates that. So they asked Jesus, what's the good life? And so this whole series we're calling the good life because, you know, it, it comes from that passage where Jesus says, well, here it is. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love God. Everybody say love God with me.
love God. That's the first thing Jesus said, love God. And, and then he said, oh, and also just as important is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, love people. And then he told the story of the guy walking in the ditch, walking along, got beat up and left for dead in the ditch. And some people ignored him, but some helped and served him. And Jesus said, be like that guy. Serve the world. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Can we say those together? Remember, love God, we represent this way. Everyone get your hands up. Mm -hmm. What do we say? Love God. Put your arm out around some people. Love people. Now let's serve the world. Serve the world. One more time. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. One more time. Everyone all at home. Come on now. Some of you are like, I'm too good for that. Here's my, here's my love. I got you right here with this one. It's all right. I hope it sticks with you, though, because we're going to love God, love people, serve the world. Now, each one of these has kind of two prongs. And we're just going to review these every single week in this short series because these are key. These are actual practical ways that we can put these things into practice. Under love God, there's two prongs. And remember, they are abide alone because you've got to have your own relationship with Jesus and nurture it somehow through prayer and his word and listening to him and then doing what he says. And then worship together. We talked about last week, and I, I referenced simply the message we gave last week. It's, it was important and powerful. I hope that you'll, you'll give it a listen if you missed it. So that's love God. Love people has two prongs. Hold on and reach out. Hold on to some others on the journey with Jesus and reach out to those who are far from Jesus because as we do that, we come alive. And then serve the world has two prongs. Get going, like take your good intentions to make a difference in the world and do something about it. Get going. And then give generously because you can't be affected by God's generous love to you without it affecting your own time and talent and even your treasure. Give generously. I want to focus today on love people, obviously, and this notion of hold on. Hold on to some others who are also walking with Jesus. You know, a lot of people just think the church is a bygone relic, you know, something we ought to stick in the attic. We got to get on with the real business of life in the real world. And yet, isn't it interesting? We're struggling with so much hopelessness and so much despair and so much loneliness and so much fatigue. And we're trying to invent all these new strategies to solve all these fundamental human issues and Jesus is like, that's what I want my church to be all about. In 1963, meteorologist Edward Lorenz presented a hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. He theorized that a seemingly tiny, minor event like, say, the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil could conceivably alter wind currents and do so sufficiently to cause a tornado in Texas. His theory grew in the academic community and it became known as, some of you know what it's called, the butterfly effect. Right, the butterfly effect. Um, he, he had this computer program that simulated these forecasts for weather systems. And one day, he kind of had to hurry out of his office for a meeting. So instead of entering the number that he always did, 0.506127, the one he'd used in all the earliest trials, he rounded to the nearest thousandth. He just entered instead of 0 0.506127, he entered 0 0.506. Because he figured that one one thousandth of one percent would be no big deal. He was wrong. 
Because when he returned to the lab, those simulated weather conditions, according to that program, had a radically different outcome. And that numerical difference between the number that he was supposed to put in and the one he did put in was just a puff of wind from a, from a butterfly's wing, so to speak. But the result was the, the catastrophic weather event. And the principle is simple, that small changes can bring big results and make a big difference. And this is not just true in science. It's true in life. And it's true in your life with God. Sometimes seemingly small things. One decision can change your whole life. Can it? One, one, one change can radically alter the outcome of your character, your destiny. One risk one idea can change your life. One new habit. Because after all, we're a collection of our habits. You don't have to make 100 changes. Because oftentimes when we do, it just divides your energy by 100 and results in 1% change. But if you make one decision and you're 100% committed to it, even if it's a small one, that's how life goes somewhere. And when you ask me, and I'm asked this often, what, what do you think I should do if I want to get my life with God going? You know, I'm kind of a new Christian. I want to get started. Or, or I feel like I'm kind of just floating and, and coasting. I, I don't feel, I, I don't, nothing's really real. I don't have any path. I, I get a lot of questions like that. What should I do? My first question back to them is, are, are you in a, in a group with some other believers? I mean, I, I kind of feel like as a pastor, I'm supposed to say, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying every day? Are you coming to services? Do you hear my sermons? That's not where I start, just because of experience. First thing Jesus did says, follow me. And he just says, you know, hang out. And by the way, um, Peter, this is, uh, this is Matthias over here. And he goes, hang out while we walk. It's the way Jesus did it. It's the way that we need to do it. one little change can make a big impact. So it might just be for you. One, you know, some of you are groupies. You're group people. You're groupies. You're groupies, groupies. And you're just like, I'm all in. I love groupies. It's changed my life. And others of you are like, yeah, I hear this, but you don't know my life. I don't have time for it. Uh, I don't want it. I don't need it. And I'm just telling you, one small change, one evening of your life, one breakfast a week, one few minutes of prep time, you going out of your comfort zone, one time, you, you sacrificing just a little bit of your time now can make a huge impact on your life. And you will find yourself with just that little bit of change that it relatively takes to, to sort of be in a group can have a big impact on the courage you find in your spirit to walk with Jesus when you need to. It can make a huge impact on your understanding of Scripture and how it actually can guide your life instead of being a bunch of gobbledygook. It can make a huge impact on your sense of hope when you're discouraged. And, and, and the difference between it is seemingly small, but can be life or death. So we all have a choice to either put up a shield, a helmet, or a fig leaf, or whatever you want to say, or to risk pulling it aside enough to get in a group and connect with some other people. So I just want to give you three quick keys to relationships at our groups at Mountain that will help us all kind of know and be known. I want to 
um, help you kind of get hungry for some groups. If you're in a group, I want to help re-energize and give you a vision for what your group can be, can be about. I want to give you three quick things, and not gonna, I'm not going to spend much time on the first one. But the first one is just like, we've got to learn again that part of the good life is that when you're in relationship with people, you've got to learn to be curious about others. We sometimes are so self-oriented that we just really don't care about people. We're just like bored with their answer. I mean, I'll ask you a question, but only so you can stop talking so then I have the right to tell you about me. We got to be curious about people. What's going on in their fears, in their family, in their future? And, and ask and then listen and then honor one another. And when you begin to be curious, genuinely curious about others, you'll see what a beautiful difference it makes to draw in relationship. It's true in a marriage. It's true with your kids. It's true with your parents. It's true in our groups. Second, we, don't, we need to just be more than just curious about others. We need to be real about ourselves. And I want to just say, if you don't know this already, this is the kind of church for imperfect people. It's, it's okay to not be okay around here. In fact, no perfect people allowed, okay? We're going to kick all of you perfect people out or just have you admit that you're, not so, you're pretty jacked up anyway. No perfect people allowed. See, because then if it's okay to not be okay, well, then we can just stop trying to pose for each other and pretend and put on this false air so you'll accept some invented version of me. I can admit that I messed up because I know it's not going to change my credentials of belonging. We're all here not because of how good we are. We're here because of how good Jesus is, and he invites you in, and by his grace... He's willing to forgive and bring you to a new place. And we can't forget that. That's the kind of community. We're, we're, we're not a sort of collection of pretty good people. We're a hospital for the saints, for, for, for the sinners, who are trying to know and be known and love and be loved so you can be real and true and take your mask off. I was on a call this week with, with some pastors, and it was a great meeting. Um, we talked about business and what's, what are you doing for Christmas and what are those pastors from huge churches all over the country. And it was a great time, you know, all that. But then at the end, someone said, hey, has anybody got any needs? And one pastor all of a sudden just opened up. He got really raw and vulnerable in an instant. He was like, this is guy, you know, high-profile dude. He's like, you know what, I'm really struggling right now. He just was real, and he talked about some things going on with a former pastor and some things in his family, and he was kind of choked up a little bit about it, and everything in that meeting changed. Why? Because it was real. And everybody knew, I'm not the only one. Me too. And we drew together, and something real happened. And if you want something real to happen in your life, like get to the place where in a group someone actually says, you know, I think I might need some help, or would you pray for me, or... I love you, or I'm sorry, or how can we grow through this? It's only going to be when we're real with each other. Third, we've got to be present when it counts. Be curious about others. Be real about yourself, and then be present when it counts. Friends, be present. We're so distracted, aren't we? Relationships matter more to us than we sometimes realize. At the end of your life, it will be your relationships that matter most. You won't look back, and what will mean the most will not be someone who might say to you, oh, I love what you accomplished, that thing you built, that wonderful, successful milestone you, you crossed, you know, that, that wonderful edifice you built. 
What will matter most to you and to me is when someone says, you were there for me. You matter to me. I know you and I love you. And if you have one of those, you're a rich person and you will have lived a good life. But if you think the good life is about all that other stuff, Jesus says, what good is it to profit profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Be present when it counts. You know, young adults have the highest levels of sadness and disconnection ever. 44% are reporting persistent feelings of sadness, loneliness, and helplessness. And the uptick happened in 2012. What's significant about 2012? Well, that's when smartphones surpassed 50% of us having one. And social media took off. And this thing that was meant to bring us together taught us how to kind of feel insecure about ourselves and supposedly deepen our connections. It just sort of taught us to never be alone but always still be lonely. Be present. When Jesus showed up, he was present with people. There was a guy named Zacchaeus. He was there. He went to his house. He sat down and ate lunch at his table with a woman who had an issue of blood nobody cared about her and, and, and just ignored her and he stopped and listened and touched and talked to her and cared for her. With a man who was grieving his daughter's illness, he stopped and he brought his presence. With a woman at a well who was covering her deep relationship hurt with small talk and theological argumentation, Jesus was present with her and offered her living water. Who do you need to be present for? Who do you need to be present for? I wonder who's carrying a heavy load right now. We, we went to Kenya. We went to Kenya a couple years ago and we climbed on Mount Kilimanjaro. Some of you from church were with me on that. We raised money for kids and we had this nasty trick we played. When you carry a pack, you want to be as light as possible because at the end of the day, man, that pack starts feeling really heavy. So we had this dirty little trick and I'm sure it wasn't my idea. But I think it was Gil was walking in front of us and we just started to pick up rocks and when he wasn't looking, he had his little pouch open. We just kind of put a little stone in there. And then we, and someone else would come by and put another one in. He didn't notice. He's, he just, he just, we just kept putting, we put so many rocks in this poor guy's pack. And we finally come to our break and he pulls that thing off. He's like, holy cow. He looks in there, he's like, what? <laughs> and it feels like some people do that to you. And Jesus invites us to be exactly the opposite. Galatians 6.2 says it this way, share each other's burdens. If someone's got a big load, you take some stuff out. Carry it for them. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind to every person you meet today. Why? Because they're carrying a heavy burden. They're already heavier than they want to be. We don't need to add to each other's stuff, y'all. Look at the way we do on social media. Scripture says when you care, when you pray, when you show up, when you bring a casserole, you write a card, you remember that birthday, that death anniversary, you write a text. When you care, when you listen, when you are the body of Christ, you're taking stuff out of the backpack and you're helping someone take another step. Who's carrying something heavy right now? And God could use you to lighten that load. That's how we, that's how we come together. And so groups are places for spiritual friendships like that. Places where we can be curious about each other, where we can, you know, figure out a way to be real about ourselves and then to somehow be present and practice presence so we're just better at it. So at the end of our life, 
we're not scratching our heads saying, I think I didn't understand how this game works. We want to be a church of groups, and I want to encourage every single person in the hearing of my voice to understand that there's a group space for you at this church and through this church. We're just a collection of people, and we're all just a big pile of groups. And some people are still orbiting on their own, or they're in other kinds of relational circles, but I just want to encourage you to to be able to be in a relationship with some folk that know you and know God, that love you and love God, and can be on the journey with Jesus with you because it'll make all the difference for your life. I, like Brandon would tell you that. Brandon Russell here at Mountain. Here's a picture of Brandon. Uh, he, um, he was new to Mountain, and he got on fire for his faith, and he was baptized. And shortly after that, he decided to join a small group. He walks into this small group with a bunch of young adult guys. He'd never seen any of them before in his life. That was six years ago. And today, they're best friends. He didn't know that, 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 that one of those guys would be the best man in his wedding or that another one of those guys would be his flower dude. You heard me correctly. They didn't have a, a ring bearer or a flower girl or anything. They just had Chris run up and down the aisle and spread flowers. Or the guy officiating his wedding would also be someone from his group. And that group together today, they know each other and they're known. That's, that's what Sabrina would say. Sabrina loves the rooted experience. And if you have heard about that, you know, we're going to run that in January. Some of you need to plan now to get involved in a group this fall at Mountain, and then that will warm you up for rooted experience in January. She says, I've been a participant, and now I'm a leader, and that rooted experience helped me create lasting rhythms of health in my life. And the vulnerability, the growth, the realness that you go through, it showed me what God can really do in our lives. Group life is an important part of who she is and where she's going. Jeff and Kathy Costa would tell you the same thing. I used to be introverted, Kathy says. I lived inside myself. Sounds like down the astronaut, doesn't it? I wasn't willing to share with others. Now, she says, everything has changed. Some high school friends of theirs invited them to keep come to a group, kept inviting, kept inviting. They finally said yes, and eventually they went, and that opened the door. And now after being in multiple groups, she says, I've come so far out of my shell, I feel like I can spread my wings and fly. I have moved from being a face of mental illness to the face of mental health. She's got a life that's good. It's the good life because she's tasting this. And you can see those pictures of her home, uh, of her group that's home to her, where they're doing projects and celebrating and holidays and goofing off and doing life together. Friends, we've got groups around here. There's a new one coming for courageous conversations for couples to help couples. That's coming up in October. There's care groups for Celebrate Recovery. We're starting a new Celebrate Recovery for people with hurts and habits and hang-ups. There's a new one starting at the Aberdeen campus, August 22. Uh, we have divorce care starting September 11. We have grief share starting September 6. We've got so much happening. Young at heart for those Older seasoned people, Rooted 2.0 starting in January, Go Trips, Community Impact Trip. Friends, opportunity is there. One small decision on your part will make a big difference. So I hope you get grouped. I hope you'll hold on. You know, every, every party here, by the way, I'm going to put a, an address on the screen here, mountaincc.org backslash groups. That's where you go. Check it out. Fill it out. We'll get in touch with you. We'll help you. What, what are you looking for? How can we help you find the exact thing for you so you can have experience like the three people I just described? Okay?
You ever notice when you go anywhere and we're sitting around the fire, which we're going to do more of here uh, pretty soon, there's always a fire guy. You know what I mean by fire guy? He's the guy who just, he has to kind of get his hands in there. He's like always building it and he, has to, he wants to light it and then he wants to mess with it and fix it and add wood and he kind of grabs the stick. And he, you know what I mean by fire guy? I'm the fire guy at my place. I love fires and I have this big stick. And here's what I've learned. After the big fires starts to go down, you get this pile of embers and coals, right? This big pile of hot red coals. And I've learned if I take my stick, if I want that fire to keep hot, what I do is I keep those embers and those coals together in a pile. And if I say, oh, I got to go in, I want to get this thing over with, what do I do? I just take my stick and I knock those coals apart from one another and in no time they turn white and cold. They begin to smolder. You take one lone ember off to the side. It can't survive. And that's exactly what happens to us when we're not connected to other people on the journey with Jesus. That, that coal, that, that, that pile of embers is Jesus' intention for us to stay hot. As a pastor, when I see people whose faith is cooled, whose, whose trust in God is no longer on fire, I know Satan has just taken a stick and poked them aside, and there they are on their own, and they, they need life-giving, nourishing relationships. Maybe that's a little bit of you. Maybe you can feel the cooling. And it's time just to let the Holy Spirit just nudge you right back into the pile. What do you think? Let's pray. God, we thank you for creating community, for being a God of relationship, and then inviting us into that so that we don't have to orbit alone. God, make of our whole church a big flaming fire that's fueled by your Holy Spirit, and don't try to let any of us do it alone. We want to we hold on to one another. May your love fill us and flow through us to one another and to the world that you, everyone may know of the love of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.